My name is Travis Rossback, and I beat the often path with hard work, resilience, and continuous learning in the greatest country in the world. Do you know those water bottles that you've seen everywhere? Every single time you go to the airport, it seems like every single person has one. Well, it turns out that that's called the Hydro Flask, and it was invented by Travis Rossback. Today, we are going to discuss the unlikely journey and strange path of a true entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Prior to founding his first company, Travis was a scuba dive master, a U.S. merchant marine boat captain, and a commercial airline pilot, in addition to being a world explorer. And yet, somehow he ended up inventing what would go on to become one of the world's most successful eco-friendly consumer products. He's since sold that company and has helped countless others as an advisor, so his advice is something that we all should take very seriously. Brace yourself for a truly enjoyable conversation with somebody I deeply respect. Here's Travis Rossback. I'm Ross Palmer, and this is Beat the Often Path. Yep, you got it. That's perfect. All right, welcome to the show, Travis. Uh, glad to have you here. Loving your studio background. You've got the nice little podcast setup that you're coming to us with. You say it's a work in progress, right? I'm never happy with much. I mean, I'm happy with some things, but this, I'm like, there's a few things, but thank you, Ross. I feel the same way. It's always, you're looking at the best and you want to be the best. And then you realize <laughs> you're not there yet. Um, but, you know, the, the purpose and premise of the show is obviously that people who have taken the road less traveled, as we say, metaphorically. And you have certainly appeared to do that with some pretty wacky and crazy turns in your life. So I guess uh, based on your intro, what's the best way to jump into your story? Where do we begin in all this? I'd like to talk about scuba diving, boat mast, boat captaining, airline piloting. I'd like to talk about the Virgin Island days, but I'm also happy to talk about business, gangster rap tattoos, whatever you want, world travel, you know, the current <laughs> state of affairs in this country, uh, politics. I don't know. No, I, I, whatever you feel happy with. Sure. Well, all of that, that's what I'm talking about. All of that's a pretty interesting laundry list right there. So many different angles to come into. And you have built uh, uh, several successful businesses in your life. And obviously, I think the most notable one that people would recognize is, of course, the Hydro Flask, these water bottles that appear to be ubiquitous. And I've learned that this is called the Frequency Illusion since scheduling this podcast. I have seen them everywhere. <laughs> I feel, I mean, I always knew the brand, but since scheduling this, I've seen them literally everywhere. I was in the airport. Every third person has one. Friends have one. People in different states have one, different countries. So perhaps in some sense, that's your most well-known business venture, but you have done For a sure. lot of other things in your I life. I want to write that down. What did you call that? That was the frequency? Yeah, the, frequ the, the frequency effect. And there's actually another more technical name. It's two names for it. I can't remember what it's called. It's like the, the Badoff something effect. But yeah, if you, if you Google name. it. Yeah, it's two people's names. And it's where it's the illusion that when you learn about something for the first time, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you see it everywhere. It's just mm -hmm. that you're now noticing it and your brain is hyper tuned to noticing it. Definitely occurred in this case. I've seen them awesome. just, just everywhere. So you have done something that has spread far and wide. That's for sure. Um, so maybe let's, well, yeah, why don't we just start with that story and then we'll, we'll work our way into the other stuff. So, you know, again, like a water bottle. How did this, you, you started this company in what, 2009? And then you, um, you sold it a few years later and then it went bananas after that. So how did, were you always entrepreneurial at heart? Is that something that's new to you? 
I, I actually kind of was. I, I started learning about business and entrepreneurship when I was about 12. And I had, um, I was, I grew up in Salem, Oregon, and I was constantly grounded and we were growing up eating government cheese, like literally welfare government cheese, single mom, four kids doing the best she could. And we had a really wealthy next door neighbor and he died all of a sudden one day, um, just fell dead on a, on a jog. And his sister came in to do the estate sale. And she told me, she said, you can have one thing in this whole house. What would you like? There were Rolexes and just beautiful artwork pieces and just amazing wealth. And it was literally just next door to our madhouse. And I, I kind of looked around and wasn't really sure there was this naked woman painting that was kind of awesome that I wanted, but I had Bo Jackson and Mike Tyson posters. I didn't want to take down <laughs> for her um, at that time. And so I just happened to look up the stairs and there was like this bookshelf and I, I swear that the lights just turned on and, and there was music playing. And I was like, I want that. She's like, you want that bookshelf? I'm like, no, I want the books. I want all of the books. And wow. they turned out to be like Brian Tracy, Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Wayne Dyer. Um, all the classics. Just a lot of the, yeah, classic. It was, this was, you know, circa 90, I don't know, 94 or something like that. And so it was just a natural draw for me. And once I got them, I spent a lot of time, like I said, grounded in my room. It was always raining in the valley, Willamette Valley, the Valley of Creeping Death, it's called. And I, I was just absorbed name. in these. Yeah, right. Wouldn't you think after learning that it's called the Valley of Creeping Death, more people would move out than are moving yeah. in. But it's like a Steve. This story. whole thing is a Stephen King novel. <laughs> Everything you're describing right now <laughs> feels like a horror movie. <laughs> I was in the Valley of Creeping Death. My rich neighbor died suddenly. And she said, you could have any one thing in the whole house. I'm just waiting for the punchline. This is this is epic. So it was it was just like all of my life was just all of a sudden absorbed in either riding my bicycle and out playing in the woods and, and getting lost in the Creek and stuff or studying and learning about business. Then when I was 14, uh, we got a knock at the door and it turned out to be my grandpa, my dad's dad. And he's like, Hey, you want to go meet your dad? He's in St. Croix, the U S Virgin islands. It's like, yeah, I don't know where that is or what that means. But next thing I knew I was on my way. And met my dad. He owns Cane Bay Dive Shop, multiple dive shops in St. Croix. And next thing I knew, I'm like working in his business and I'm implementing or at least trying to implement Brian Tracy stuff into Cane Bay Dive Shop stuff. And I I loved it. I just, I got to see what did and what did not work. And so did that for a multitude of years until finally I got into being a pilot, which actually got me out of the dive shop and took off as a commercial pilot and flew airlines and private jet charters and stuff. When I was done with flying, though, I, I just had to get back into business. So I moved home to Bend, Oregon and started a fence say, company. Are you telling me that you lived in paradise and you came back to the Valley of Creeping Death? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <That's> it. <laughs> Close, but no, I'm I'm about two and a half hours away from okay, the valley. Okay. I'm on the I'm on the east <laughs> side of the 
Yeah. <laughs> Creeping death adjacent. Got it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, I can see the mountains that hold the valley uh, as creeping, but I'm about an, uh, two and a half hours away. Got it. I uh, was here for a while, but then missed the warm weather of the Virgin Islands. And one day I took off to Oahu and fell in love with Hawaii, moved to Maui, then to Oahu, started a sign and screen printing company, which kind of turned into like a business agency. And, and then that's when Hydroflask just hit and it's like, I got to do water bottles now. When you say that it hit, what, what, what actually happened there? Because I love these ideas that almost seem like non ideas and that's just me, you know, it's like, I'm going to make a water bottle. Okay, cool. How is that in any way different? And yet somehow apparently it was what hit there and why I've, I've since learned this part of my brains called the cerebellum. And mm. it hit me. I, I was thirsty. I was driving around Honolulu out running some errands and I was thirsty and I didn't want to get a single use plastic water bottle. I, I was tired of having the plastic wash up on the beach. We were living on the North shore and we would clean plastic off the beach every single day. And I was getting really tired of it. So I wanted to buy a plastic, uh, non single use bottle. They're, they're called Nalgene. And I went in and the sporting goods store said, like, nobody wanted to help me. When I said I was here for a water bottle, like, everybody was like, no, we don't want to talk to you. Finally, I got one guy to help and we went back and there was this whole wall where the water bottles used to be and it was all empty. I was like, dude, what happened? And he says, well, we don't know what it is, but there's this new stuff in the owner's French and a preliminary measure. She pulled all the water bottles. It's, it's, it's this cancer causing thing. And it's, you know, it, it's, you know, mm. we now know it's called BPA. Right. And then the woman just so happened to be ahead of the, ahead of the curve because it came out in Europe before it right. came out in the United States. The United States hid that from us for a long time. Which is a whole other topic. This country is a whole other yeah. topic. I'm going to try not yeah. to get on to. I'll try to stay on water bottles. And right. and I was like, well, who's going to fill up this wall? And they and they said nobody. There's nobody else doing it. And I it hit me in the cerebellum. It came out my mouth. I will. I will fill up this wall. I will do the water bottles. And the guy laughed at me. And in the the juxta I shouldn't try to use five cent words. The juxtaposition at that crossroads of me saying that it just came out my mouth and him laughing at me. I saw the future down the road, like 10 years later. And I was standing up on stage talking about a highly successful water bottle company. And, and that's how it started. That's wild. Yeah. Those Nalgene's were ubiquitous. And in my high school years, Every yep. kid had one. Mm-hmm. So God mm-hmm. knows how many chemicals we all ingested yeah. during that four-year period. Every <laughs> yeah. single kid had one every single day. It was the mm-hmm. thing in my high school. Mm-hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. now I make a conscious effort to remove plastic from my life wherever I can. And I sort of have this pretty extreme love-hate relationship with plastics in general uh, as being one of the most valuable and also dangerous and poisonous materials in human society. So it's this incredible love-hate thing I've got going on with it. But I do try to sort of distance myself from it consumption-wise. Yeah, absolutely. It's a miraculous thing, but... It's incredible. I just bought a new refrigerator for the office and I was excited because I was like, oh, I'm going to go get healthy food. I'm going to be all healthy, you know, and I'm going to buy fresh 
produce and organic everything. So I go to Costco and I buy all the snacks and treats and food. And then I go to Trader Joe's and I get all the frozen meals that, cause I'm single. So I eat a lot of frozen, you know, healthy Trader Joe's healthy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I stuff the freezer. The I stuff the refrigerator and I realize I'm taking off cardboard and under the cardboard, every single thing is wrapped in plastic. Yes. Every piece of food I purchased was wrapped in plastic. Even the, even the fresh fruit, like food, vegetables, everything still go in a plastic bag in the refrigerator. I'm like, well, I can see where it makes sense though. That's the problem also is like, I can see why you put the, you know, the, the, beef tenderloin in a plastic Ziploc or freezer or shrink lock bag. I can understand that because what else do we have? But at the same time, I don't want that in my refrigerator because it's going in me. Yeah. I know that's the great paradox of our time. I'm reading this book called how the world really works. Very interesting book. And basically the four elements that he talks about that are most important to human society is concrete or cement, steel, plastics, and ammonia. And those are the things that nobody thinks about. Yeah. When they think about climate change or green energy, none of the green energy solutions, solar panels, windmills, none of that has anything to do with the four most important things to human civilization, which cement, steel, plastics, and ammonia. So it is a very complicated relationship that we have with those things. It's the enabler of the scale of human society, but it's also potentially killing us. And microplastics are found not just in our hearts, but in the breast milk of every pregnant woman. It's it's some weird stuff. We're in a weird time as a species, I think. Um, that, and that's, you know, to derail things pretty heavily at the start of our conversation. <laughs> it, it's true, though. I, I think one of the things that upset me almost, I would say, the most was I was in Africa. I was on in Mombasa on the coast. And I was, I learned that all of the fishermen were moving North. Everybody's moving North on the coasts because the fish are going North. And then I found out that at the very beginning of life, at the very depths of the trenches in the oceans where the hot gaseous water comes out or whatever it is that comes out, there's plastic right there. There's plastic at the deepest most basic, simple life forms. And you think about that simple, simple little single cell organism is eating plastic. Everything above up to the surface and then onto the land is, is in now ingesting uh, based off of that. Yeah. It's in our cars, my truck, my steering wheel, my dashboard, my daughter's car seat. It's all plastic. And when it gets hot, it off gases. And it's it's almost a burden to know as much as I do about plastics and the BPA and the whole industry and watching mm. the factories in China and and in the mm. United States as well. Mm. I've I've seen factories in Mexico just do the same things, but the plastics is is such a dichotomy, such yeah. a dichotomy, and 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 yet you know we're not doing anything with algae or mushrooms or I don't know what else. Like what else could paper pulp you know like bamboo? I don't know. Um, you know, it's like water in plastic bottles works way better than water in cardboard because people don't want to buy a cardboard box of water because they want to see the clean, clear water that they're going to drink. So they get it in plastic. Well, glass doesn't work. So what do we have that's not plastic and not glass? I don't know. 
That's why we need entrepreneurs. That's why we need entrepreneurs. We've had some of those solutions on this show, but in the beginning, your interest was just your first, because you were ahead of the curve, I think, in that sense, because like you said, there was no alternative at the time you created. So you were against plastic or single-use plastic at that time, primarily because you'd seen it wash up on the shore and you sort of recognized this can't be good. And being a dive instructor and, and a dive master, and I've I've been diving all over the planet. I've Every place mm. I've traveled, I've tried to go, you know, I should say, Every warm place I've traveled to, I've been scuba diving and I've seen, I've seen it I, and it's, it's scary and it has gotten worse. I started scuba diving when I was 14, I'm 45 and that's what, 31 years I've seen it, the coral bleaching, the plastics, the garbage, um, the, the lion fish. I mean, just it's on and on. And I just wanted to, I thought, you know, I thought, well, if I can help eradicate at least a little bit of this plastic, even if I sell 5,000 bottles and that's it, at least that's, you know, maybe 20,000 less pieces of plastic, maybe, you know, because mm -hmm. if people are using the, the double wall vacuum insulated stainless steel, then they're not buying the plastic as much. And I think it was probably about, 10 years later, I saw an article that, no, we're actually producing more plastic than we did when you started Hydroflask, Travis. Much. Dang yeah. it. That's not what I wanted. I wanted the opposite <laughs> of that. <laughs> just, it's a continual upward. All three decades of climate conferences, and we're just still going straight up. It's pretty wild and a little scary. So in the beginning of your journey, you recognized you made a horrible mistake when you chose books over the Rolex. You forsake, uh, you forsook millions of potential dollars for books, which, you know, can be sold at a thrift store for 30 cents. Um, so you had enormous regret about choosing books and then you built your first business. I mean, that, am I painting an accurate picture? It wasn't That's worth about it, right? right? Not yeah. at all. No, I probably still have that Rolex to this day. And I don't even know where those books are. Actually, I don't yeah. have those books, but <laughs> but, <laughs> no. I, but I actually have a few other Rolexes, but it's not the Rolex. So yeah, right. big it's mistake. not that one. And you know, if people take one thing away from this episode, it's knowledge is a waste of time. Um, complete, that's a yes. motto that I live by. <laughs> that's just, just something that I like to think and remind myself of every morning. Uh, okay. So you chose the books. You went on a business journey. You helped the scuba diving, uh, venture. You, you sort of had a foray. I assume that Hydroflask is your first time that's hitting it big, let's say, right. Was that the breakout success of your career up until that point? It, I would, you know, I, I'd had businesses before that had made enough money to have successful exits. I, I had a successful exit from the fence company that gave us enough to move to Hawaii and, and kind of cool. skate for a while and start the sign company and buy everything that it takes to open up a, a business. But Hydroflask was definitely the first one that it gained any kind of international notoriety. Mm -hmm. And we absolutely had the most employees with Hydroflask than any other business I'd ever had up to that point. And it was the first to go, you know, like really big pop. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. We were in all of the major outlets and all over the world. We were selling hydro flasks and, and that was a first for sure. Yeah. And, um, 
That logo reminds me of the Burning Man logo, by the way. I don't know if you've ever been to Burning Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thought that I had, just no a comment. random brain dump. So I think, oh, yeah, it's a Burning no, Man. I think sure. that was my first impression yeah. the first time I ever saw one in the wild, uh, however many years ago it would have been. I don't know. I, I've never heard that, Ross. That's a first. That's All interesting. Right. And I totally, yes, totally like 300,000 yeah. podcasts later, we get a first on the show. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I hadn't thought um, of that. Yeah. <laughs> have you, so have you always had the principle of you're going to take whatever success you get from your business and just sort of, you know, go all in or bring it into the next venture and build sequentially that way? Have you always seen your businesses as a sequential path or have you really been committed to each business? And then what makes you decide to switch businesses or to proceed to the next venture? When I am in, I am all in hundred mm. percent head down. There's, there's complete blinders. I sacrifice nights, weekends, holidays, you know, no more friends, no more family. It's just business. And it is just business 24 seven uh, up until I had my daughter, I should say that was oh, the nice. case. It was absolutely, yeah. um, but I didn't see it as a sacrifice. I never saw it as a sacrifice. I saw it as working hard to pay the bills and to get ahead and hoping and hoping and hoping someday there'd be some sort of payout and, mm -hmm. but not really expecting it, but just kind of hoping for it and doing my damnedest up until that point. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, there would just be natural things that would happen where I was like, okay, I'm done digging holes in lava rock in 20 degree weather my hands don't work anymore. My back doesn't work anymore. I got to get the heck out of here. Hawaii sounds nice. And then with um, the sign company, it was, okay, I'm going to retire to Hawaii owning a sign company. And this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my days. And you, if you want to find me, I'm down on Kawakawa Boulevard in the sign shop. And I'll be back there picking and weeding uh, banners the rest of my days. And then, and then the hydro flask came and it's like, no, you can't do signs anymore, Travis. You got to go do these water bottles because nobody else is doing it. And the ones that are doing it, they have, you know, and even there was an aluminum company at that time that was popular and they were supposed to be the best on the market. Well, they had aluminum. The, I mean, they had BPA. So the wow. aluminum has BPA. The single wall company that had Ugh. just come out was sweating and it, it doesn't hold ice for any length of time. Or I go hike a mountain and by the time I get to the top, my water was frozen. So I had no water. I go to the beach. I go surf. I come back and my water's too hot to drink. So I really didn't have any water. It just, they weren't working. And mm. I thought, I wonder if if I could take that old school technology that my grandpa had, he had an old thermos that stunk and it had glass inside and metal on the outside. And it was 800 pounds. Forgot about and, those. Yeah. yeah. Well, my grandpa. About. Yeah. So my grandpa had that. In fact, I have it up here on the shelf. I, I kind of nicked cool. it from him. And I thought, well, what if we could take that glass out and put metal in? Cause I'd had a plastic and metal cup in my Virgin Island diving days that worked pretty well. And I thought, well, instead of plastic, which I'm not a fan of, instead of glass, which is a thousand pounds and breakable, instead of aluminum, which has BPA and doesn't work, what if we did two walls of metal? And, and so that's kind of how that all started. That's crazy. Were you literally the first person to do that double wall vacuum thing with steel? 
as far as I know, yeah, in an everyday carry water bottle, yeah, yeah. I was That's in China crazy. trying to find factories that would do it, and I was I was turned down every single day up until wow. the very last day. I finally found somebody who said, "Well, if you can make the machine that can make the part, that can make the machine that can make the part." Then we'll give you a couple hours on the vacuum. And there, are, I, I was told there were only a few vacuums at that time. Now there's hundreds of vacuums in China at the factories. They're all still made in China. So that's yeah. wild. That's I was going even from, more impressive. Oh, thank you. I was going from uh, like little roll up shop, you know, little little tiny factories where the kids and the grandparents and everybody, you know, there'd be three generations sleeping on the floor in these little tiny factories. Um, making screws and we'd go there and we'd buy a thousand screws from them and you know come back next week we'd go back next week and buy a thousand screws and we take the screws across town and go give it to the guy who's stamping and punching metal who's you know he needs the screws to build this part and then we build this part and we take it across town to the to the other factory and it was it was it was wild it was it was a crazy time it was a lot of fun i learned a lot that's crazy. So you did the the, the sort of uh, you know stereotypical thing. Many people advise you know you're going to China, getting the factory. You did all that. At what point did you realize that you needed to physically be present in China in order to make those things happen or to make your vision a reality? Well, I I knew that we were not making bottles in the United States. I yeah. Um, I I just. I didn't want to do plastic. I didn't want to do aluminum. I didn't want to do single wall stainless, but I did know that the single wall stainless company was made in China. And I just so happened to have a client at the sign company who took field trips to the Canton fair, which is a massive fair. It's a trade show for all of the factories, all of the factories in China to come and showcase how awesome they are. And so twice a year, you go to the Canton Fair. And if you need to make a, you know, a rubber ball, you go to the rubber week and there's 8,000 vendors for rubber balls and, and rubber factories. And so I asked him, I said, Hey, can I come with you on your next field trip? Cause I want to do this, this metal water bottle idea and, and, and with a vacuum that keeps the temperature. He's like, no, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. There is no such what? thing. You can't come with me. I'm like, come on, man. Like, I'll pay you. Like, can I just come with you? He's like, well, let me check into it. And he checked. He's like, no, I'm serious. There is no such thing. And I was like, well, screw you. <laughs> and so I <laughs> sold my moped. I sold my surfboard. I sold a bunch of my stuff. And I found a factory that said uh, via fax, yes, we can do that. We'd love to come on over and, and check it out. You know, and I said, I'm on my way. And so I was on the next flight out, took off to Shanghai and I roll up to the factory and they take me in and show me their showroom and it's all plastic water bottles. I'm like, well, where's the metal? Oh, we don't do metal. I said, well, it says here on this piece of paper, this fax, we can do metal. They're like, oh yeah, that, no, huh? we don't. I said, it says okay. here, we'll do vacuum insulated metal. No, huh? no, huh? no, 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 plastic. Like I just sold everything, got on the plane, flew 30 hours to get here. You're telling me no? Yeah, no. Uh, but hey, you want to do plastic instead? It's like, no. And wow. so that was a bummer. And I, I'm just starting to leave. And this guy came up, grabs my arm. He's like, hey, man, I got a cousin down in Hanjo. You might want to talk to him. 
I was like, I don't know what that means, but I've got nine days left. Today is my first day. I have nothing else to do. I'm, I guess I'm doing that. And, mm-hmm. and then I went down, met his cousin and, and his wife. And now they're doing $110 million a year internationally making water bottles for Costco and everybody else, all the knockoffs for, for Hydroflask. Incredible story. So how much would you say that you had to invest up until that point or to get the first product? How much of your personal money did you have to put in? I think the first MOQ was 5,000 and 5,000 and and water bottles are still the same. They cost $5 and 25 cents to make. Mm. So 5,000 times $5 is 25,000 plus the 50 cents would be, you know, 20, about 30 grand. Okay. Yeah. And, and what happened was we ran out of money in between we put 50% down on them and we thought, okay, we're going to go sell everything we own, go beg, borrow and borrow some more. And we'll just pay for the second half of bottles. And when it came right down to it and it was time to ship, we couldn't afford it. So we only got 2,500 and the guy who we bought them from is like, we're going to have to scrap these because nobody's going to want the other 2,500. Like this was the worst mistake of my life. I should have never wow. done this for you, Travis. I was like, look, if I can at least double my money, then I can at least give you enough to get the second 2,500. Just give me a minute. Like, please don't scrap them. He's like, I'm going to go take them down and, and just dump them in the street and sell them for pennies on the dollar because you've ruined my business. No. We took a gamble on you. I'm like, okay, no pressure. And <laughs> yeah, right. And so sure enough, I mean, they sold and they sold so well that we got that 2,500 and ordered another 10,000 and got that 10,000 and ordered another 20, sold that 20, got another 20, and then started getting 40,000 at a time in 40 foot shipping containers. Next thing I knew, we we're doing 120,000 a month and we were growing 600% a quarter. And we were in all of the major REI, Cabela's, Dick's, you know, any, any place, you you know, Whole Foods, any place you see them now, we had that account within a year, year and a half, two years. That's insane. We were international within like three months. How did you go about doing that? How were you securing those accounts in those early days? I was robbing banks at, at night. I had a, a big jackhammer and I'd go down and bust into the ATM and take all the money out. Wouldn't yep. that be a cool story? That would like, be a really cool story. You know, that, you know <laughs> this is part of the Stephen King novel. <laughs> this is the second part. The short that old lady, she uh, dynamite. She gave you books, but <laughs> there was a curse. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I learned about dynamite in one of those books, and that's how yeah, I got. Yeah. Okay, I get it. Um, the the <laughs> picture is becoming a lot clearer now. Yeah. Um. It was. It was friends and family to begin with. Um. My. My partner, she had okay credit. I had no credit. So she'd get a credit card and um, she'd add my name to it. And then we'd, we'd, you know, max out that credit card. And then we would sell some bottles and then we'd pay off that credit card and then max it out. And, and, um, and then my grandparents invested, my mom invested. I mean, you know, thousands of dollars, not tens or hundreds of thousands, but just thousands here and there. And, Every single dollar we had went right back into the company. Every dollar I made was was only to buy more water bottles. And that it just became the like th- there was no 
option. I burnt the boats and burnt the bridges. There was just hydro flask and mm. hydrating. I just wanted to hydrate the masses. I wanted everybody to be hydrated. And, mm. and you know, I, I really believe in the motto, act boldly and unseen forces will come to your aid. And that's what it was. I just, like, it was courage. Yeah, no kidding. And, and, and dynamite, yeah. And dynamite. <laughs> and dynamite. <laughs> Little product placement. Yeah, there we go. Uh, uh. <laughs> Don't you just hate it when podcasts are interrupted by a commercial, especially because you just want to skip and get straight to the part that you care about? Well, this one is different. You want to know why? Because this company is my own dang company. It's aloha.agency. That's like aloha without the H. Aloha.agency. We do all things for digital marketing, whether that's designing and building websites, to e-commerce, to social media management, to short form video editing, to animation, to 3D design and industrial design, 3D video, you name it, even on location video and stills shooting literally every single thing that a brand or nonprofit needs to stand out in the digital world. We do. And so if that is something that you're looking for, or if you know somebody who is, please refer them to us and check out our website at aloha.agency. That's A-L-O-A.agency. And now back to the show. So it sounds to me, like other entrepreneurs, you have always perhaps had a very different relationship to money than, than most people have. Because the idea of doing that, especially when it comes to burning safety nets or reserves or bank accounts or operating in that way, I think that seems foreign to most people who aren't entrepreneurs or who haven't built a business. So what made you go forward doing all of that without thinking, I'm making a terrible, stupid, foolish mistake? Because you had lived in such humble means, maybe you weren't afraid of monetary failure. That's what I assume you were sort of hinting at. That, that is correct. I, I think that starting out eating government cheese and then yeah. moving on up into the slave quarters. And then every place I would go when I would travel in my early years was always very basic hostels and sleeping on people's couches and stuff and trying to meet women who had a nice hotel room. And, you know, how could I go into that nice hotel room, you know? And so I wasn't really afraid of returning back to my concrete roots. I always knew that I could become a, I mean, heck I could go work for the airlines again, or I could go in and, um, you know, if I had to be a dive instructor again, but I also had a real quiet confidence that everything was going to be okay somehow. Mm. And I, I knew that people really enjoyed the bottles and they really felt good. The, the positive response that we got very early on with hydro flask was really encouraging. It really kept me going and it gave me the strength to get up in the mornings and, and get into the office at five o'clock and, and just keep slanging water bottles before everybody mm. else got in and stay till 11 at night trying to figure out how can we sell even more water bottles. And, nice. and, and then it was like, well, how do you, you have to pay your employees. You have to pay your bills. You have to pay the factory. You have to pay for shelf space. You have to pay for marketing. It's like, oh shit. Okay. Well, let me just buy more bottles. And the more bottles we have, the more that'll take care of itself. And it kind of fascinating did. story. 
And it kind of did, yeah. yeah. So a lot of people who are in the rat race or people who have jobs they don't hate or they're grinding away at something that they don't enjoy or they're in the middle of it, they often dream of a life where they go to some tropical paradise and they say, wouldn't it be nice if I just caught fish all day and had no worries, no money, but no financial burden? Um, I think a lot of people might think that sometimes. You kind of did that. Was retirement not enough for you? Do you still want to go back there? Was something fundamentally missing when you had that life after your first retirement? I I remember very vividly sitting at the bar in St. Croix at about 20, 22 years old. And there were all of these just major alcoholics <laughs> and they would just show up and start drinking and they'd drink all day and they'd drink all night and then they'd stumble home. And, and I always thought like, this would be a great place to come to die, but I'm too young to be here. Now I have to go strike while the iron's hot. Now I am in my prime now. And so out, you know, even after selling Hydroflask, it was like, I got a credit card that had no limit. It's like, I'd never felt a 12 pound credit card made out of metal before. And I called to activate it. <laughs> and the guy's like, yeah, I don't see any limit. I'm like, okay, well, is it like 20 grand or 15,000? He's like, no, there's no limit. So I could go buy a yacht tomorrow in Miami. He's like, well, yeah, just give us a heads up. So we don't think it's fraud, but yeah, sure. There's no limit on this, Travis. And it's like, that's dope. I like that. I want to do that, you know, but my advisor, he took it and he shredded it. He he had to like bury it so I wouldn't use it, but I still wasn't, I like, I got bored. I got bored quickly. I, and, and that's, I, I started the Tumalo group, um, as, as a legal way to do business in the United States as an LLC. And did that for about four or five years after retirement, actually more than that, it about six or seven after hydro flask. And, um, I was working with China and helping people make products and factories and stuff like that. And I just now recently closed that down and started just travisrossback.com and I'm I've getting ready it, yeah. to teach courses and I'm still doing advising and I'm taking on more one-on-one -on -one clients because I love business. I love helping people. I love experiencing growth and brands that go from not much to just amazing. And and the more I do it, it's it's addictive. And so yeah, I I don't know that I'm going to do it forever. There is going to be a point and and I have a financial number that I've set for myself that as soon as that's hit, I'm turning off all of the computers and there's no more recordings and there's no more Travis. He's out on the far side of the world trying to break through the ice wall. Uh, but until then, I I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying doing what I'm doing. I love that. I feel very much the same way. In fact, the, the, the feeling you described, that's how I feel about the Mediterranean. Um, I know that I'm going to end up there in the final years of my life, but I also feel like it's too soon to be there now. And obviously the United States, you, you opened by saying it's the best country. 
it's certainly the craziest country. There's no doubt about that. And also the potential for wealth is the high. I mean, there are many positive things, but let's just say the speed of the race is perhaps the fastest here. And if you like going fast, there's probably no better place on earth to be than than right here. I don't imagine that I'll like going fast for my entire life. I think there will come an age where I say, I just want, I want my day's calendar to just look like wake up when I wake up, wander to get a cappuccino, sit, drink the cappuccino, maybe, you know, an hour later, go get a glass of wine somewhere and then transition into that. Eventually I want to end up there, but now it also does kind of feel like, okay, you've got some stuff to do before you, before you're ready for that. I also think if I went today, it would be too soon. Well, so and, I, with that. I mean, money helps. Let's face it. I mean, yeah. buying that cheap wine at the dollar store versus buying the nice wine at the cafe on the side of the Mediterranean, it tastes a lot better in the med than it does at the Dollar Tree. And <laughs> right. so, it, you know, it's it's a matter of perspective and, and finances as well. You know, like yeah. um, if you have a nice bungalow to go back to drink the bottle. Yeah, that that helps too. So, sure. If you can just show up with a bag of cash and say, "Give me that bungalow," and then just yeah, that's the end of that. Exactly. That's even better, right? <laughs> yes, problem and all solved. the staff that come with it. Right. Absolutely. No, uh, <laughs> that's the end of that transaction. That, no, it makes sense. So, in your advising and with the types of businesses that you've done, obviously, you went after that high growth potential and you've advised a lot of people. Now, I'm always interested in, in entrepreneurs' opinions on this. I myself have a business, but it's a very different kind of business. I have a marketing agency. So for me, the type of business that I have is more of a linear growth type of thing, right? The more work that I get, the more I have to increase my staff. You don't get that force multiplier of someday I'm going to have that hockey stick up to the moon with the same amount of staff. With all the people that you've advised and with all the ventures that you've done, how do you feel about a linear growth business, which you've done some yourself and you're, you're sort of doing one now versus those high potential different trajectory types of businesses? I think that's a great question. And I, I think, honestly, Ross, I think that it comes down to each and every individual person and I think it also comes back to being content with what we have and still striving for more. But there's there's a limit to if I'm making X number of dollars, is X plus one going to be worth it if I have to work exponentially harder or if I have to hire more staff, if I have to take on more responsibility, more hours? Is that X plus one really going to be worth two? Because I want an ROI on that one. <laughs> or am I actually really okay with where I am? And what I found is that if I'm okay with where I am, people will resonate with that. They'll say, oh, dude's okay. And they'll pay me more money if I ask them. So maybe I don't need more staff. Maybe I don't need more clients. Maybe I just need to charge more money for what I'm giving and not mm. actually work harder. And I think that's always kind of a fun mind shift to see people get into is that I don't actually need more parking spots in the parking yeah. lot. I actually just need to charge $25 versus $15 for the hot dogs or whatever it is, or the t-shirts. 
So, um, cause I do know that 600% growth a quarter is it's, it's like, it's full on. It's like driving a, a, a race car in Indianapolis 500. I can imagine it was like, it was a lot like flying a jet taking off out of, you know, JFK or Atlanta or something like it, it reminded me a lot of like landing or, or taking off into, uh, Charlie Brown in, in Atlanta, where it's like, you're constantly on the radio, you're flipping switches and talking to people and reading charts and talking to the back and you're making sure all the lights are green and there's no red and oh, why is that red? Oh shit. Okay. Now we're on the ground. Now where are we going? And I love being in that scenario, but it's, it's not healthy for me to live like that for too long. And, and I don't know that it's healthy for, for most people. Um, and it also becomes addictive also, you know, there's a point at where it's like, I, I miss that 600% growth qu- quarters every once in a while. Like when I'm just sitting down, hanging out with my daughter and we're reading a book, I think this, okay, Travis, this is the best use of your time right now is reading this book. Well, but I could be out doing, nope this is the best use of your time. And so kind of getting comfortable with myself, I, I think um, was a big part of my growth too. It just like, I know I can do it, but also knowing that I don't have to be doing that. It, it mm. feels good. Yep. That's wise words. And I think for a lot of us, and it's also a function of where you live, like you live in Oregon. I live in one of the most expensive places in the world. I live in Southern California. And there's amazing positive things that come with that, but man, it's expensive. And then the rates of everything just keeps going up with no end in sight. So it's almost like some part of it is hard to know what is the internal drive and what is the external drive. Or if you say like, I'm comfortable where I'm at, well, where we're at is constantly changing. Where we're at is not a, a static place and the world around you, you know, mortgages are going up, costs. So the idea of just staying flat while comforting, it also seems, I think, maybe unrealistic for a lot of people. Of course, you know, up to a certain point, when you get beyond a certain point, then none of it matters anymore. But up to that point, I think it is sort of hard to know what's coming from within and what's coming from without when it comes to what's the right amount of drive I should be having, if that makes sense. It, it absolutely does. And and then we pour on top of all of that, the hustle culture and all of these yeah. influencers that are saying, go harder, go faster, go longer. And that is not how you get successful necessarily. That's not the answer. You know, hustle. No, that, that, that one word doesn't make you millions. And, and a lot of times I even actually look at those people and I think, are you a plant? Because like, what is your real motive here? You're trying to sell your course. You're trying to sell your book. You're trying to sell me Mm -hmm. something, but who told you to tell me to just get into that hamster wheel and run faster on it, thinking that I'm going to make more money just by running faster. And I I have to question society as a whole sometimes and wonder like, who are you and why are you telling me this? Because I was pretty happy when I was not running so fast. I was actually happier when I was Mm. taking breaks and and getting off of the wheel and getting back on. And I do enjoy jogging on it because I got to stay healthy and I got to get going. I got to keep my mind sharp and I got to be making money to 
pay my taxes and, and, and buy my, you know, Rolexes. But it, there's a point at which you have a Rolex, you have your health, you have your food, you have your home. Do you need two Rolexes? Eh, eh. Yeah. Just because somebody tells you to hustle more and you'll get two Ferraris or two this or that. I don't know that that's the case. I, I'm so completely with you. And for 99% of all entrepreneurs, I I completely agree. And I think a lot of people, I also have that. I know some influencers and probably the same ones you're thinking of. And you also wonder, what is your motivation here? What are you trying to sell? Because everybody's trying to sell something, whether they're courses or their agency services. You have a vested interest in that. But the only time where I get sort of conflicted on stuff like that is I just listened to Walter Isaacson's Elon Musk autobiography. Very interesting human case, Elon Musk, right? <laughs> yeah. So many pros, yeah. so many cons, I could not so many put good that things, so many down. crazy yeah. things at the same time. And I think Walter did a good job of capturing both pretty well. And you sort of think, this guy's a maniac. The way he lives is insane. The way he treats his employees is insane. It's not justifiable at all except for the fact that he believes that this is completely necessary for human survival. Now, whether that's true or not, you know, who are we to say? I'm not qualified to say. But he genuinely believes if we don't get these cars out, if we don't get this rocket in the air, then humanity itself will not survive. And then you sort of think, well, okay, if I truly believe that, then I suppose I might act in the same way. If I truly believed that I had to work 100-hour weeks every single week or humanity would die and that was my primary motivator, then I guess that makes some kind of sense. But kind of beyond that, which again, may be flawed thinking, it really doesn't make sense to accumulate billions or hundreds of millions or just any amount of monetary wealth to me at all. And all of those toys, they're, they're completely meaningless to me. If I had all the money in the world, I wouldn't buy toys. It's not, I just, I'm not interested in that. I think that that Elon book, I, I couldn't put it down. It was me neither. It struck me. The first thing that struck me is like, Oh, thank God. And I did, the, I had the exact same thing when, when I read the, the Steve Jobs book by Walter yep. Isaacson mm -hmm. as well. I, I thought, thank God there's another human being like me on this planet. I relate so much to him. And, and a lot of the things that I highlighted in the Steve Jobs book was very similar to what I highlighted in the Elon book. And I went back and I looked and I thought, these aren't attractive points, Travis. This is probably why you're single at 45 is because of this reason, this reason, this reason, and this reason. This is why Elon has 11 kids with what four women or whatever it is, is because of this, 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 and this. And yet, thank God there's another human who's like me. And then, you know, reading even further into how he treats the employees and how he does this and that, it's like, is that really worth it? Is that really what you want to do? The billionaires I've met, I've met some really awesome, just chilled, laid back billionaires. I've met a lot of famous celebrities and, and, and people, royalty. I met the queen, like all of these people I've met. And there's a point at which having two Lamborghinis is not better than having one. And actually having one Lamborghini, it's not all that practical. And you get a flat tire, you get a, a, a chip, somebody keys your car. And 
even though you have the money to fix it, it, it still takes a toll. And I, I think like, you know, where's the difference between driving a nice truck and driving a Lamborghini and, and what's right. more practical? Like what, what actually just makes more sense run into the grocery store. Mm. So why would I need five Lamborghinis if I can just take my pickup down to the store and I don't have to worry about it, you know? And, mm. um, but then again, it's like, okay, well, do you want just an average normal life where you're just paying the bills and you're living paycheck to paycheck? No, not at all. Do you want to make just barely enough to survive? Absolutely not. Does money buy happiness? Yeah, kind of. It buys contentment. I mean, it buys vacations. Vacations are happy, you know, most of the time. Vacations are, are nice, you know, uh, money pays the bills. Is it nice to have heat in the winter? Oh yeah. Air conditioning in the summer money, you know, the air conditioner breaks. What do you do? Well, you have to have the money to fix it. So, you know, is two air conditioners better than one? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so it it's, it's a, it's a interesting, it's an interesting dichotomy. And I think that even the country I think as a country, we're starting to wake up and we're starting to question more and more. We're starting to question the politicians. We're starting to question the the media. We're starting to question what we've just been spoon fed for so long. And why do we believe this way? Why are we buying this? Why are we voting that way? Um, because we've been told to or because we know it's best for us or because our neighbor did it or our family members have done our, our family's always voted that way. So of course I'm going to vote that way. Hmm. I, I, I think that there's a real awakening of, of, of common sense that's starting to happen because common sense, in my opinion, was not all that common and is not all that common. And, and I'm hoping, and I'm, I'm seeing little bits and pieces of, of hope here and there that it's starting to come back. Hmm. That's a great point. Very well said. Yeah, we have uh, our society has changed tremendously, no doubt about it. And also our relationship to work has changed, our relationship to business, our relationship to money is changing and will continue to change in the face of AI and all of these things. So I think all of our relationship in terms of, you know, perhaps our perception of what is safe is globally changing. And a lot of things that seemed risky few decades ago perhaps seem safer now and a lot of things that you know seem safe seem actually riskier and i i think that's sort of what propelled me into the, the role of being a business owner was that for me a job didn't feel as safe as having multiple clients with my own business because if i lose a client i have others if you lose a job you have nothing so it was right. sort of that train of thought to like what is what is the riskier proposition of those two I think people's opinions on that are changing. I agree. And I know that's that's another big reason why I got out of flying and, and, and working for the airlines and working for other people was I, I was actually a lot less stable working for somebody else. I, I was at their whim. I was at their mercy. And I would rather have nothing on my own and not be beholden to other people and feel more, I feel more comfortable that way. I feel like if I'm working for other people, I could get cut at any given time. At any time. And then I would have nothing 
but it would be a worse nothing than if I had lost it all on my own. If I try and I don't succeed, well, at least I tried. If I'm working for John and John doesn't succeed and I fail because John didn't succeed, he failed. And so therefore by default, I fail. That just doesn't feel safe to me. That doesn't, that doesn't give me solace that I'm going to be okay tomorrow. So for me, being an entrepreneur is like, it's just so ingrained in who I am. And, and now they teach it at college (laughs) and it's like, okay, I, I can understand business school totally, but teaching an entrepreneur, like that's more, to me, it's more psychological. It's, it's like what you said. It's like, I work for myself so that I know that I can go get another client and I can't get fired. And even mm. if all my clients fire me, well, then I can just restructure and go get new ones. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Well, I think that's a really great way to wrap it up. We've had a little bit of technical hiccups, but you've been very generous with your time regardless, and you have some incredible insights. Um, you know, I hope that the the books weren't actually a curse and were in some way a blessing. It seems like they might have been. After all, send on. you're not that old yet. <laughs> you still have many, many uh, years left. Uh, to I've do never thought about things. it. But what if I had taken the naked woman painting? Like, yeah. what would I be doing now as opposed to taking those books? That's interesting, Ross. I had never thought of that. <laughs> I think you just have to assume that what would have happened is one day the painting would have fallen off the wall, a chip would have broken off of the frame, and there would have been secret instructions written in Latin on the back of the painting that would have instructed you to go to the Vatican, and it would have started this Dan Brown-esque adventure story. So you'd be somewhere on, on your moped that you wouldn't have sold in Italy fleeing from the what are they called the papal police the vatican police (laughs) (laughs) so it would be high adventure of some kind you just wouldn't be an entrepreneur that's what i think i I always did want to be in the mafia so that does (laughs) there you go (laughs) there you go you still have time (laughs) yeah yeah it's not not too late for you travis um No, but, uh, but uh, really, really thank you. And yeah, your website's very cool. People check it out. Uh, your name, travisrosbach.com. Just that's it. You offer many different types of mentorship packages, including a year-long one, which is really exciting and awesome. Um, clearly, you have a lot of wisdom and you have definitely taken the road less traveled. It's been an honor and a pleasure for me to to get some of your thoughts and wisdom. And again, I just can't thank you enough for for taking the time. Thank you, Ross. It's been awesome being here. I really appreciate it. Pleasure is all mine. And with that, uh, the official podcast is over. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Beat the Often Path podcast. I really appreciate that you made it all the way to the end. You've got to be in a rare breed indeed to be listening to this message. Well, what I'd like to tell you is this show can't grow without your help. So if you've enjoyed it, please share. Consider sharing. Rate the show five stars. Leave a positive review on your podcast platform of choice. It would really mean a lot to me. And of course, share this episode of the show itself with somebody else who might want to hear it or who might benefit from it. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week on the Beat the Open Path podcast.